Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Otenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Josh. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. Happy New Year's, gentlemen. 2021. I'm one appendix lighter. Happy to be here with you guys. What happened? What happened, Mike? You know, I thought an exciting way to really put a cherry on top of the crap Sunday that's been 2020 would be to get appendicitis on New Year's Eve. So I did, and I spent the hospital there uh, and overnight on New Year's. Uh, I was discharged in the morning on New Year's Day. I'm right as rain now, but uh, yeah, perfect, perfect fitting ending to this last year. Did yeah, you at least I, get some jello? No jello. I'm sorry no to disappoint. Hospital no jello. hospital jello. I did get one lovely hospital breakfast. Uh, a nice, nice lukewarm omelet with uh, pretty pretty mediocre melted cheese in there. You know, appropriate, appropriate situation all around. Yeah, happy end to a terrible year to both of you gentlemen and to all of our listeners. Happy end of 2020. This is this is I'm just joyous that this next year is going to have more optimism for the Celtics potentially as well. This is a special two-part episode. Uh, it felt like a little bit of an emergency emotionally for all of us to uh, hit the record button on Sunday night after the second, uh, excuse me, the second game against the Detroit Pistons. This one a win. We're going to record our reactions to the recent games now on Sunday night as I'm speaking, and then we're going to record again on Monday night after the game against the Raptors, and we're going to splice these together. So let's get into it. Does anybody else feel like the Celtics had their appendix removed as well in the last week? Uh, it, it, they might be on narcotic pain relievers that, that would explain the lethargy, the kind of lack of cohesion, the lack of awareness on defense. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, you might be onto something there, Josh. I was watching the game, the, the second Pistons game, thinking, are the Celtics also COVID depressed like everybody else? Is that what's going on here? I love that we all have uh, theories as to why the Celtics are just not bringing energy. They're not fighting through through 48 minutes. It's it's almost like they don't care that much. I, I'm, I'm a little disgusted. I got to say, I was angry watching the end of the Pistons <laughs> loss. I was angry. I- I was angry watching the first half of the the Pistons game today on Sunday um, to the point where I had to dive in and look at look up some numbers that I'm I'm not going to get into yet on Jason Tatum. But he just, yeah, was playing like he does not care. Completely passive in the first half. He ended up with great numbers. He hit a game winner. Um, and I couldn't be more angry with him. <laughs> and I feel like that's all you need to like. We let up 120 points to the poo poo platter that is the poo poo platter of crud that is the Detroit Pistons team this year. I don't like. We made Jeremy Grant look like a 10 time All Star. Mason Plumley looked like a third team All NBA center. Blake Griffin looked like he can actually move again. Um, it was just, I, I don't understand what's going on with this team. When we got Tristan Thompson and with Kemba down, I was certain that our defense was going to be like unfathomably robust and strong. And this team is just looks lost on defense. They're, they're not putting pressure on the ball. They're always behind on the rotation. People are getting lost on weak side help and recover. I, I just don't understand what's going on, but it has been 
so frustrating to watch. And we knew it was going to be frustrating to watch. And it's still been frustrating to watch. Josh, we are getting destroyed by two a Detroit team that starts two rookies and a former G Leaguer and Mason Plumley. And uh, we, and they're giving big minutes to another rookie, and this especially in that game in the loss without um, um, Blake Griffin, we got destroyed by Jerry and Grant, who looks like an all star all of a sudden. Svi Mikhailuk makes me feel like, oh my god, how, why can't we get guys like that? Mason Plumlee's destroying us on the glass, including Tristan Thompson. Uh, the last four minutes of that loss. I don't think we scored at all. I think we went 0 for 10 on mostly wide open shots, including zero uh, from seven from three. The game was there for us to take for the entire 48 minutes and we couldn't do it. It almost feels like <laughs> I'm, I'm so irrationally upset right now. <laughs> it almost feels like the difference between our team and theirs is that we're just, our G leaguers are coming off the bench <laughs> instead of starting. Yeah. I, I mean, th- this has been going on for a week now. So here's what I've seen going back. I mean, the last week since we've podcast last has been Pacers, Grizzlies, Detroit, Detroit. Okay. The Pacers game, I noticed that we were reaching and getting a bunch of steals. And it was like that second Pacers game, we were just ready to get a win, which we did. And, you know, it was like our ball pressure uh, focus point from the coaching staff, which, you know, has kind of been a staple of the Celtics in recent years especially in the playoffs and the bubble. And now it's like, it's like we just got out of a, a impassioned speech by Brad Stevens to get up and, and ball pressure the crap out of everybody. And it was a great game. And then the next game, it was like, we're going to do that again because they don't even have John Morant. He just got injured. They have no ball handlers. Oh my God. It was like, it was almost like watching a team that knew they were going to win before the game started. Um, and it was a blowout. It was silly. Just the, the but it kind of, created this pattern of like we can be a little bit loose and still just destroy these games and we're going and we're heading into two games against detroit oh my god this is going to be easy and then all of a sudden we we see detroit and we're just loose we're just loose we look like i mean i'm a juco coach former juco coach and a former d1 coach and it looked like the difference between juco and d1 it's like your neck gets tired watching a juco game if you're watching it from half court, because you're just snapping it back and forth. There's just so many steals, so many unforced turnovers and transition opportunities. And that's what we've seen the last three games now, uh, you know, if not four. So, the, I mean, the unforced turnovers is one thing. I'm worried about the offense more than the defense, Mike, because we're just coughing it up. I mean, it's... Our, it's our a- turnovers are horrendous. I think we had 18 turnovers today which was problematic. I, the one thing I will say, especially in the first half of, of Sunday's game against Detroit, um, we were at least like, we were playing some of the the best offense in terms of pace and, and just moving the ball and, and like actually moving without the ball and, and getting into our sets quickly. Um, I thought in the first half, we were really, really good on that. I thought in the second half, we had some moments where we weren't as good, but we, you know, people like Smart and Tatum were really effective um, setting setting the table for other players. Tatum had 12 assists. Smart had eight assists. Um, Tatum did a really good job adjusting and reading to the, the kind of traps that Detroit started throwing at him in the pick and roll. So I agree, Josh. Um, we're really sloppy on our offense. Um, and that is a concern as well. Uh, we are at least on, on the offensive end getting saved by the fact that Jason, or Jason, not Jason, uh, Jalen Brown is shooting 
basically 99.7%, I think, last time I checked. Does that sound right to you guys? That sounded a little bit low to me, actually. He's very clearly the best player on this team right now. He has been an absolute flamethrower. I think he went 13 for 16 uh, today uh, with 31 points, including a big three with 34 seconds left to put the team up to 120 to 118. Um, he had he ex- absolutely annihilated Memphis with 42 points in 29 minutes, uh, joining a club that only Larry Bird is in in Celtics history um, for scoring that many points in that few minutes, uh, at least and en- en- ending the game there. Um, so you found the I mean, one the one stat where Jalen Brown is in the same category as as only one other guy, and it's Larry Bird. I mean, I didn't find it. Nice. I'm just parroting it. I like but, it. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, he is he has been amazing. Um, He's still he's still not like phenomenal setting guys up, uh, but operating out of the the pick and roll as a as a ball handler. He's doing that. Uh, That that's creating so far through the first well, through the first six games, not not accounting for the game against Detroit. Um, He's in the Jalen Brown's in the 82nd percentile of all pick and roll uh, ball handlers. Uh, with 1.13 points per possession when he's uh, the ball handler. Um, And he's doing that 2.7 possessions a game, um, which is about half as much as like someone actually less than half as much as someone like Jason Tatum, who's doing it uh, about seven times a game, but generating uh, at much lower efficiency, 0.88 points per possession. uh, And Tatum by comparison ranks in the 50th percentile. So, you know, Jalen Brown, we were talking before the season about the need for him to kind of grow and be, be effective and capable operating out of the pick and roll and, and creating for others. I mean, he, he's not all the way to where he needs to be as, as, as a passer, uh, but certainly uh, creating shots for himself and scoring it with high efficiency. He's operating far more effectively than I think any of us realistically would have hoped. He's playing unbelievably well. He's and this is a continuation of what happened after the All-Stars team was selected last year and he was not on it. He has played just flat out. He's 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 showing that he can be a very clear second option on a title contender to me because of his two-way ability. He's showing that the potential that uh, the ceiling that he was drafted with that Greg Popovich uh, saw when he wanted Jalen Brown for Kawhi. Uh, that that Jalen is is he's is it too much to say that he's there now? I mean, this guy is playing unbelievably well. I think he like if he continues like this, he's underpaid for sure. Uh, he's he's out of the the James Harden trade conversation. There's no way that I would trade this Jalen Brown uh, for for Harden. I'm so unbelievably impressed and thank goodness he's doing this because were he not playing this well, I shudder to think at the losing record that this team would have. Um, and, and watching the, the loss to the Pistons and seeing, seeing Marcus smart airball a three missed two free throws that would have put us ahead. Uh, watching Tatum take his, repeated sidestepped threes without taking the ball to the basket and and going and yelling at the, the TV asking Brad Stevens to run a play for Jalen. He actually did at the end of the game, kind of saying, look, this is the guy that's playing best right now on offense, especially. Let's get him the shot. And unfortunately, Jalen missed it. Uh, but 
we can't overreact to Jalen just like we can't overreact to uh, the rest of how this this team is playing right now. It's still a little too early, but well, it's looking amazing. Could I respectfully disagree and overreact a little bit? Because I want to I want to pick up on something you said about taking Jason uh, or Jalen Brown out of the James Harden conversation. Because I agree with that. It's certainly the way he's been playing. I think he is operating amazingly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually pull out some of the um, a question for you guys that especially watching the first half of this game, it's, it might sound crazy, uh, but I'm, I'm teetering on the edge uh, the, with the way Tatum is playing. And what is driving me insane is his passivity. So let, let me drop some stats before I offer you this question. So Jason Tatum, I'm snapping over here in the background. Yeah, yeah. Give me, give me like, can you get some bongos or something, right? Yeah. Um, so Jason Tatum is number six overall in the league right now uh, of, of players with at least four games played and the number of ISOs per game. He, he has 4.2 ISO possessions per game. He is far and away last in the points per possession generated. Would you like to take venture a guess as to how many points per possession he generates out of those ISOs this year so far? Less than one. Definitely less than one. I have no idea. It is point four 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 points per possession. He has, is in the third percentile of NBA players as an ISO score so far this season. Now, but, but in Kobe. his defense, but Kobe. yeah. Now, in his defense. He was 10th overall in the league last season over the course of yeah. the full season at one point per possession. Two seasons ago, he was 38th out of 38 players with at least two ISO possessions per game with 0.63 points per possession. So the book is, you know, the verdict's still out on whether or not he can consistently be a good ISO scorer. I'm not saying he's going to finish the season at his rate, but if you've been watching him in ISO, screaming frustrated with his play what you're seeing is is reality it aligns with reality he is been putrid on top so that 0.44 points per possession is not even the most heinous stat about his iso performance you know what his free throw rate percentage is the number of possessions that iso possessions that end with a free throw Uh, when he's in iso is it just a sad face there's no number, just a sad face. It is no number. It is 0%. He has... Oh my God, I was right. He has not sh- ended up getting to the free throw line once operating out of the ISO. Yeah. One time. By con- by comparison, your one of your favorites, DeMar DeRozan, mm-hmm. Josh, his free throw percentage operating out of ISO, again, it's small sample size, it's high, but it's 40% right now. Yeah. James Absolutely. Harden last year, over the course of the full season, his percentage was uh, one uh, seven or sixteen percent, sixteen percent free throw frequency. So okay. I ask you both. I think seriously, should the Celtics consider trading Jason Tatum for James Harden? I knew you were going to say that. So, Mike, the ripple what? effects that that they would are have overlapping similar types of players. I just just. Give me, give me the benefit of this thought experiment for a second. If we okay. had someone with James Harden's skill profile in lieu of Jason Tatum, how good do you think we would be? We would be great. But Josh, can I answer this first? Sure. 
take it away. So, Mike, your anger towards Jason Tatum, I identify very strongly. When I said I was angry at the team for losing against the Pistons the first night, I was really angry at Tatum. He has not been playing consistently. I put a lot of the blame on him because this is one of the worst teams. They came in 0 for 4. This is one of the worst teams in the league. Tatum especially wasn't ready to play. And you can't lead a team to a championship. You can't be a top 10 player in the game if you don't come ready to play every night. And when Josh speaks about him being soft, I think of for me, I think about part of what that means is a lack of drive, pun intended. You have to want it. He needs to come ready to play every game. He needs to bring it and he needs to take over. And he needs to know when he's not able to take over. Not every great player hits their shots all the time. He needs to know when his three is not going down and he needs to take it to the basket and make other things happen. He needs to make his teammates better. And right now he is struggling because he's ISOing all of the time. I cannot believe how those numbers align with, with what I'm seeing every night. Um, So in that loss, his shot was not falling instead of going to the basket, taking contact, finishing around the rim or getting to the line or creating offense for others just kept repeating that patented left side step three. It drove me nuts. Now that does not mean that we should trade him for James Harden. There's contracts, there's personalities. He's so young. He is going to improve. We said from the beginning of this season that this was an, a, a, a transition year that he, he is learning how to take on this role. Mike, you had a really intelligent take la- uh, last time. I think it was about Brad Stevens, letting him figure out on his own that he cannot bank in three pointers like he did against the bucks every time and take these sidestep three pointers from 35 feet. He needs to be taking better shots, especially when they don't need a three pointer. Uh, so no, I, you, you do not trade him for James Harden. I, okay. So like I said, I, I I'm not sure yet if I'm serious on it. <laughs> I know. I want to I want to go all the way in and really have this be like my take, but I I can't I can't do that because I can't get past the the age difference and the personalities and uh, the contracts and all of that. But I do, and I think I think if you're Danny Ainge, you have to have seriously ask yourself even now with Tatum if he will ever be able to consistently get to the hoop. When I watch his game now and the way he's progressed, and even in the last two off seasons, he's indicated it's a priority to finish more effectively through contact. He, Josh's use of that four letter S word really seems appropriate. Increasingly. So he does everything he can to avoid, avoid contact he does not just put his shoulder down and go up strong through guys. It's not in, it doesn't seem to be in his DNA. And I don't think there's really a track record of players that don't have a, a kind of proclivity for drawing free throws earlier in their career, suddenly getting elite at that. Like look at Trey Young. He's already generating free throw attempts at a very, very high level. Harden has been generating at least 10 free throws a game since he was 23. Yeah, Durant like, did it from the beginning. Yeah, so I I think you have to ask yourself, if you're Danny Ainge, some serious questions. If you're looking at this team and you're going to say, okay, look, I, th- I think we all agree. Jason Tatum is on a trajectory to be truly, truly great. But what 
form is that greatness going to be? I think this team, neither Jalen Brown nor Jason Tatum have the knack for drawing fouls. I think to be a true championship contending team, you need someone that can get that, can kind of, you know, grist their way and grift their way (laughs) to generate offense in high leverage moments, deep in playoff runs. So either you're going to build around those two and figure out that missing piece, which is obviously a totally viable path forward. Or I think there's a question of like, well, let's see, Jason Tatum is elite at that step back three. And like, as a, he's very high efficiency as a spot up option. Like that's a play type where he's actually a high efficiency player. He's learning it in pick and roll ball handler. He's improving, but he's not there yet in ISO. We'll see, but so far this season, he's been terrible. Well, if you swapped him for someone like James Harden, then uh, (laughs) instantly, I think unquestionably, our team gets much, much better, certainly on the offensive end. Yeah, for now. I agree. um, This is also my coming off after a game, the second game against Detroit, where both Tatum and Brown had zero free throw attempts. Josh, what do you think about all this? So to answer the first part of this, the ripple effects of making a James Harden for Jason Tatum trade or just breaking up the Jalen Brown-Jason Tatum tandem as the core of this team when you've done everything that you've done in the past three to four years with IT and Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and Al Horford and now that would be detrimental to the long-term optics of how players see our team and how our current players on the team see our team. I would not think that Jalen Brown would still be in Boston very long if we just up and moved Jason Tatum for a guy who you, you know is just going to come in and really just do his own thing. That's what Harden's going to do anywhere he goes. And that's not a good fit for, for the culture that we have, for the types of executives and coaches that we have. Like It's just not going to fly for our team. Now, if you can trade a Kemba Walker or you know, somebody who, you know, hasn't entrenched themselves in Boston or something, someone that we haven't just given the whole, the keys to the whole car to, that's a little bit different. Um, So it's just a bad move optics wise, you know, it may help us this year or next year, but it's not, I mean, I'm still not a big fan of James Harden being a guy who's really ever won anything in the playoffs. Like, He's obviously one of the most elite players offensively that we've ever seen. But is he a winner, a, a real winner? That has yet to be proven. He's never really won anything in the playoffs. Um, and neither have Tatum or Brown, but they're young enough that we can give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, Tatum is soft. You know, there's other guys who are young and potentially elite. Shoot, Jeremy Grant is one of them. Brandon Ingram is another one of them. Guys who are not like overly tough and trying to get to the line every time and do things the right way you know and it's it may be a personality type issue in my opinion it is for tatum that maybe he'll never really love doing that it you know and even if he but i think he can do it it's something you can learn to do even if it feels like a chore to you to do it you know and he's going to have like a more exhausted look on his face after getting to the line and getting the foul and getting that going through the contact and doing it the right way, you know, it's like, it's going to exhaust him a little bit. And, you know, he's, he is acting a little bit, you know, soft right now. My worry though, is that we're going to follow our leader and kind of carry the personality trait as a team of being soft. And I, I briefly mentioned this on the podcast last week about 
when you have too many nice guys on a team and you don't have enough grit, that that can sometimes be a problem. And I'm seeing that right now. Um, so to me, the issue is who are we surrounding him with? Because as of right now, we have this guy who's who's you know proclaimed as everybody as the leader of the team, the guy who's the go-to guy at the end of the game, you know, possibly a, a top ten MVP candidate this year, Jason Tatum. And then we got the guy right next to him who's doing his best Scottie Pippen impression in Jalen Brown. And really being the most consistent guy, holding everything together and being the best player so far, at least this year, through a very small sample size. And who else do we have right now? It's like all of a sudden now Marcus Smart's got to be your third your third scorer, your third guy. Like Everybody is way out of their role right now to the point where we're thinking Peyton Pritchard could potentially help us and be in the closing lineup. It's, it's rough right now. It's just rough right now without Kemba. Um, and to be honest, it, it was a little bit different when we had Hayward. If we had gotten something for Hayward, you know, a player who was actually competitive, that'd be a little bit different, right? But these two guys, Brown and Tatum, are used to competing with Walker and competing with Hayward, like to anoint themselves as where we all feel they should be as number one and number two on our team. But at least they had competition to prove themselves of that. Now they've just been given that spot, and and we hope that they can back it up with their play. And Tatum hasn't been. What's impressive to talk, me? What's I'd, impressive. I'd rather talk about the supporting cast. If I'm, if I'm being honest, you know. Let's 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 do that. But but let's close this this Tatum topic first, Mike. You you said before we hit record here that it's crazy to say the things that you just did when he went 24, 12, a career high twelve assists and, and eight boards. First uh, time in, in double digits in assists in his career. Yeah, yeah. and the and the the game winning shot. Um, watching him react to that game-winning shot with the happiness that he had, I was kind of, I mean, I get it, but I'm like, this is not, you cannot rely on this. Do not think that you can just play this way. Um, I, I think we all agree that he, Tatum needs to change the way that he is playing to become what we all expect that he will become. But and, and there are questions about whether he can actually get there because he may not be capable of changing the, his play in the way that he needs to. But I think you're overreacting if you're if you're taking the first seven games of the season and and looking at his play while he is very clearly and this is the first time this is the first time that Tatum has been very clearly the number one option on offense, the go to guy, the leader of this team, and that is a different role. It, it is. And I am arguably overreacting. I have arguably been known to do that once or twice in the past. Um, this is why we're but, recording again tomorrow but, night. <laughs> uh, but, you know, look, I, I do, I just, I do seriously worry. I have, I think it's, it's very fair to question whether Tatum can evolve into a, a guy that, that lives at the, at the free throw line. Um, the way that the truly elite scores, I know he wants to, uh, and he, he wants to evolve that way. But even tonight, like they said after the game, I think it was um, smart, said they got exactly the play they wanted. They got uh, Jalen or Jason going downhill against a basically immobile uh, Blake Griffin. And even with that, he opted for a 10 foot pull up fadeaway. Like the dude. I mean, it was just in the playoffs when he was taking it and aggressively trying to dunk the ball and bam, Adebayo made one of the most phenomenal defensive plays in the history of basketball. Um, But like, at least like that Tatum was taking it strong to the hoop. It was January last year where he was like getting into the lane and going up and getting to the free throw line. Um, So I don't know exactly what's going on with him, but he has been like looking just 
doing everything he can to avoid generating contact. Um, and it's, it's concerning on Brandon Ingram, Josh, because you brought him up his free throw frequency in ISOs is 22%. Uh, and he's actually a 64 percentile ISO scorer now. Um, I think he's improved that part of his game quite a bit. If, if Tatum, you know, can, can trend the way Ingram has in that department, that would be very, very positive. Yeah. And as you said, that's where Tatum has been. Josh, you brought up uh, not on, the, not on free throw frequency. Last year, he was about eight percent in free throw frequency from ISO plays alone. But in general, he's he's not terrible in terms of getting to the line overall. I just feel like he's mm-hmm. made it a point of emphasis, and then not and then he's not doing it. Like he's if you're going to say you're going to work on this in the off season, finishing through contact, which is a quote that he yeah, said he I was know. working on, then like. Don't say that if you're not going to do it. That's yeah, my well, that's, that's my thing too. That's my concern. And, I, and, I, and sure that was something he started. He started that not this off season, the off season before. That's that's my point. That's that's why I'm concerned because it, this isn't something that's like suddenly new to him. This is something that's been on his mind for two years, and generally he adopts and applies new skills and new new things very very quickly. I this just go like he is a finesse player and he's just used to being more skilled and just kind of, kind of being able to outskill people. And it's just not enough. You have to want it more. You have to out heart people to be at the level that he talks about wanting to be at. And we'll see, we'll see if, if he really has it. And, and just to, to finally wrap everything out here, this is again, a small, small sample size. And even in the last week, the last three games that we've seen with Memphis and both Detroit games, they were weird. There was weird, weird vibes. Like for portions of those Detroit games, it seemed like the hoop was just closed. There was like the types of turnovers we had where the ball would just like slip out of our hands. I mean, how many out of bounds, stepping on the out of bounds line turnovers did we have? In two I mean, it was just Peyton and, Pritchard and it was approximately 8,000. And Jalen Brown. <laughs> yep. And, and so... And, and it was kind stuff. of for both te- Yeah, it's exactly. It reminded us of the preseason. And it was both teams, too. I mean, there was a play where Sadiq Bey goes up for a defensive rebound. Isaiah Stewart, you know, one of the clumsier players in the NBA, he also goes up for the rebound. This is in the first game against Detroit. And, the, you know, Isaiah Stewart swipes up and the ball goes up and, and goes into their own basket. They scored on their own rim. You know, like how often do you see that happen? So, you know, hopefully that there's – hopefully we can see this Toronto Raptors game and kind of – be prepared for something real. We know this is a well, real team. We're used to this. We're used to the personnel they have. You know, it's an Aaron Baines game. Um, so even even just having Shemi Ojale be like a little bit of a fourth quarter savior with three threes in the fourth quarter of this last win against Detroit. I mean, how weird is that? You can't get any weirder. It's it's the so, New Year's end of twenty twenty stuff yeah and this i mean you bring up a great point because this season is kind of you know an old uh, favorite quote of bill simmons or uh it's just wildly drunk um like cleveland is four and two orlando is four and two atlanta is four and two the new york knicks are three and three the only team expected to be at the top of the east uh or teams expected to be at the top of the east that are are philadelphia that are fi- they're 5 and 1 and the pacers are 4 and 2 the bucks are 3 and 3 they lost to the knicks by 30 the heat are 2 and 3 toronto raptors are 1 and 4 so you know as frustrating as it's been for the celtics at 4 and 3 they're right now as we as we record they're in 6th place in the east a game and a half out of first so it's not like they're 
season is over by any stretch. Um, but it has been weird. Their performance has been uneven, to say the least. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's let's talk about those res- uh, the the rest of the rotation. Because so let me throw a few things at you guys. Because and taking this this transitioning from this idea of it's preseason. When I said that, I I meant that that's what it looks like. But it very much is preseason. The, like they haven't had time to practice. The turnovers that we're seeing are the kind that you see in preseason because the players don't know how to play together. You're, the offense looks completely stagnant because people don't know their roles. It looks like, it, I mean, even today, Mike, you talked about uh, the the second game against the Pistons that the offense looked like they actually had a rhythm. Uh, it, it continues to be this sort of taking turns, Jeff Teague, it's my turn now. Tristan Thompson, it's my turn now. Uh, that's not an offensive system. Um, and so the the question that I've been holding is like, when does Brad get to give Aaron Neesmith time on the court so that he can learn? Normally that would happen in preseason, in preseason games, in practice. He doesn't have that. So he has a choice now. Does he do that in games? Why is Grant Williams not defending like he did last year? He had a DNP in the second Pistons game. Uh, the team just, it's its almost amazing that Peyton Pritchard is playing as well as, well as he is. Josh, you, you mentioned uh, that we, you know, we lost Hayward for nothing. We replaced him with Thompson. Um, Brad is playing huge lineups because he's trying to get minutes for all the bigs because those are the guys that he trusts because our wing depth is so thin right now. Uh, Mike, let me ask you about let's let's start with Tristan Thompson because I'm thinking back to our off season uh, conversation. I I started to come around on him. He was supposed to be this super switchy center, this guy that was going to bring us. Uh, effort and grit on defense. And I think he is bringing that tough leadership. Um, Robert Williams has already talked about how he's more focused partly because of Tristan Thompson. I think Tristan Thompson's energy is infectious, infectious as is his toughness. We needed more of that in the bubble last, last season, especially against Miami. Um, But I, I'm seeing him get, get out rebounded at times. His, his athleticism is not what you thought it was. He, his lift is, is not amazing. Um, and um, he's setting great screens, but I'm curious about Mike to hear first from you about what you think of Tristan Thompson at this point. Yeah. He, I've been um, disappointed with his effect. There, there are two things that I think he has not been performing at the level that I think he's capable of. I, he looks heavier than I remember. And I don't know if he's just gotten bigger and, and no, kind of no, thicker no. in generally um, over the years, or if he's a little out of shape or if I'm just not remembering right, but he yeah, does. You're not remembering. Okay. Right. He does look a little thicker than I recall. Um, not much, but anyway, uh, but out at the perimeter, he is stiffer than I, than I recalled. I, I thought he was a little bit more fluid out there. Um, and he's general, and I the, the, so that one I think is just he's not as good as I thought he was. The other thing that he is struggling with, I think, is his kind of defensive positioning within our system, which I'll give the benefit of the doubt on, given that he missed our kind of pre mini preseason um, with with that injury and is basically learning it all on the fly. But I think he's been taking some pretty weak um, angles and, and he has been one of the reasons that our defense has not been as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, 
so that's been pretty disappointing. I, you know, I, th- I think he's more or less held up um, and, and delivered uh, what was expected as far as, as, as a rebounder, certainly as a screen setter and, and his attitude generally. Um, so I, I feel pretty good about all of that, but I've been, I've been disappointed with his kind of effectiveness and switchability out on the perimeter and some of his, you know, team defense positioning. I, I think he, he's been a little bit behind the curve at times in ways that, um, you know, we're going to need him to, to be kind of a step ahead, uh, of, of the way the offense is planning to move the ball, uh, later in the season when we, and, and in the playoffs, if we want to compete at the level we hope to. Josh, give us your thoughts on on Thompson as well as the other big men on this team. Well, we can't think that Tristan Thompson, because he's a big name, is going to be a big star. He's, I mean, he was a number four overall pick, which was a reach. He got a huge contract in Cleveland because of everything he did for that team with LeBron. And, you know, they were trying to keep continuity and build a culture. You know, he's 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 paid that way and he was picked that high because of the intangibles he brings. And again, it's like he's made the comparison of being Marcus Smart at the big position. That's who he is. Like we can't expect Marcus Smart to lead this team and be a star. We can expect him to provide toughness and his motor and hustle and winning plays and things like that. That's what Thompson's going to do for us. He's going to make the play that surprises you instead of like consistently hitting, you know, hook shots or, or shots around the rim. Like that's not what he does. He comes up short on his shots, but he's going to make up for it by getting seven offensive rebounds in one game. You know, so his ideal role, just like Smart, is is an energy guy off the bench who can sub in as a starter. But if you're relying on both those guys to start, you you're not, you know, you you got an issue. You know, and the issue is we have guys who are out. I mean, with with Hayward gone, we need a Romeo Langford to step up. Or we need a Neesmith to be ready or to pick somebody different who is ready, like a Sadiq Bey, who we saw over the last two games, is ready to play and is a better defender. And yeah, he shoots threes as well as Neesmith, but he's at the forward position. He's at the four. So that puts Tatum in his rightful spot. Now Tatum doesn't have to do any dirty work. He can just be a three, you know, and that's a guy I think that I wish I would have had, that we would have had. And I, you know, when we picked Neesmith, I was high on Neesmith. I'm still high on Neesmith, and I'm still super high on Romeo, but they're just not ready right now. So it, you know, it's frustrating right now. Um, Sadiq Bay is like game, what we the best possible case outcome for Shemi Ojale <laughs> already. Sure, you know, and and picking up the option of Ojale was a, was a questionable decision still, in my opinion, and I'm saying that after he helped us win the game with three threes in the fourth quarter. But we also just played the Memphis Grizzlies. It was almost like we saw what we could have had this week. Um, and Desmond Bain is a guy that we drafted at 30. He is our draft pick. And then we got rid of him. Um, and it's not like we could have just gotten rid of, or, you know, not picked up Shemi's uh, option and taken Bain, who I think right now is a better player. Um, but, you know, there was also the Vincent Poirier and opening up that roster spot that um, was helped by getting rid of Desmond Bain. So, you know, it's, it's more complicated than just what I'm griping about, but it's like, we need one more guy on the wing or at the four spot who can shoot and who can be aggressive. And right now we just got a bunch of nice guys instead of guys who are ready to step up. Like what we have in Peyton Pritchard, we could have also had at the forward position in Sadiq Bay. We just need, we need guys who are ready to be aggressive on offense and to step up and take shots 
and and make plays and you know guys who are ready to play right now um unfortunately we don't have that and we're relying on a tristan thompson and a marcus smart in our starting lineup is like the number two and three options on this team it's really it's not the best day to be a celtics fan right now what are your thoughts josh on robert williams he's been playing a lot more lately uh fans have been loving what they're seeing he's been more of a defensive force he's passing the ball on offense yeah, you know what you're going to get from Grant Williams and you don't know what you're going to get from Robert Williams. So I don't know which one scares me more. You know, right now, today we can say, well, Grant Williams has been playing terrible the last few games. He sucks, but we like Robert Williams, you know, but Robert Williams had a had a rebound today that he decided on the spur of the moment based on his instincts to turn into a touch pass as an outlet and threw it right to the other team who goes in and scores. It's like, this is the kind of thing that you get from an unpredictable big man. So it's good that he's only getting 10 minutes off the bench. Um, and, and if he decides that he's super athletic one day and, and, and is going to start blocking a bunch of shots and being in the right place on defense and, you know, taking care of the ball, now we got a real player. And, and I'm, you know, it takes bigs the longest to develop. I'm still cool with him in his role. Um, and Grant Williams, I'm still cool with him in his role, but I don't know, like, we shouldn't expect too much from him either. You know, I was saying in the preseason, if he's improved his shot, that it's a whole other story, but he's shooting 28% from three. It's not, he's not warranting his minutes right now. So right now, Grant Williams is, is a guy that we love as a locker room guy. We love for his hustle. And if he can surprise us in some, some bench minutes, that's great. But right now we have to rely on Grant Williams to play the bulk of the four minutes, you know, because we get this twin tower lineup. And again, it's not the greatest day to be a Celtics fan when you got that reliance so robert williams uh is averaging 16 minutes a game so far this season by far oh no by not by far he he and jeff teague by far have the best net rating on the team uh in the early going which adam you might hear that and that might defy (laughs) all logic to you because i know you're not a huge jeff teague fan um, but both of them were plus, uh, were plus 15.7 with Robert Williams on the court so far this year. Our offensive rating is, uh, astronomical 125.6. The only player on the team with a higher offensive rating, as you probably guessed is Shemi Ojale. Uh, <laughs> uh, and our defensive rating is 109.9. We actually have the lowest defensive rating, uh, when Jeff Teague is on the court by, a long shot. It's 101.6, and our offensive rating is 117.1. Um, uh, little in, interesting tidbits, but I, I think Robert Williams has been. Um, I, I think that matches. I, I I hear you guys talk talk about Robert Williams lapses. I I don't see them as nearly as as uh, frequent um, and or destructive as as you make them out to be. Are they ideal? No, but um, but I think overall the, the way that he impacts the game and, and what he has the potential to do, like if we're talking about giving more minutes to someone to give them opportunity to show what they can do and to grow, I'd much rather we give, and obviously it's not the same position, but I'd much rather we give minutes to Robert Williams and Aaron Neesmith. Like I, I, Brad Stevens is playing Peyton Pritchard. It, Brad Stevens would be playing Aaron Neesmith if he thought Aaron Neesmith was going to be useful on the court. So I'm trusting that the reason that Neesmith isn't playing is, and we saw it at the end of the Memphis game, is because he had no idea what he was doing anywhere. He was completely lost. So I don't want to see Aaron Neesmith get on the court until Aaron Neesmith 
has like at least an idea where he's supposed to be, I don't know, a third of the time. Um, <laughs> uh, but Robert Williams is at the point where like at least two thirds and maybe even three quarters of the time, he actually knows where he's supposed to be. And given how absolutely elite his athleticism is, um, I want him on the court as much as possible. So with, with Robert Williams, I can't remember where I heard it, but apparently the team raves about his instincts, uh, that they're off the chart. And I think passing is a great example of it. Um, he's got some defensive instincts that, that you could also talk about, but he's been showing this passing that feels new for a lot of people. This is not new. He did this in college. There's even like a full 10 minute YouTube video, uh, with his amazing, uh, passing in just in college. Uh, and it looks like this, these touch passes to open shooters, um, reading the floor and, and making a secondary, uh, pass cross court, uh, based on the defense's rotation. Uh, he can be a nice passer. The reason that we haven't see that, seen this is twofold. One, he hasn't had the minutes because there's a difference between his decision-making and his instincts. His instincts are off the chart. His decision-making is very average. He hasn't had the minutes uh, because he can't stay on the court due to lapses in focus on defense mostly. And number two, he's turned the ball over in the way that Josh described with this like touch full court pass that goes right to a defender or he loves to pass with his his body momentum going in the opposite direction and then he can't get enough force on the ball um and josh is laughing i know because he was, he's seen it if he was an nfl quarterback you would say what is he doing right yeah and he may, he's the, he likes to make really quick decisions um and uh he just and can't Adam, stay focused me- so so he can read the floor can he read the floor on offense and defense? I'm not so sure. I think he can. And then somehow it's just like he doesn't read the whole floor. He doesn't see everything that's going on. And and he misses something in the in like the filter between his instincts and, and decision making. Um and when he when he is focused, he completely changes the game for this team. He adds a dimension this team does not have and he raises their ceiling. And when he's not focused, he's quite literally unplayable. He needs he needs some Phil Jackson Zen Zen meditation guru action. Get that you know get that uh, prefrontal cortex really really robust and strong. Slow down that uh, you know strengthen that bridge between instinct and decision making. I think I think you're onto something there, Adam. <laughs> Is Peyton Pritchard the third best offensive player on this team right now in terms of who's available? <laughs> No, no, Marcus Smart is still better than Peyton Pritchard on offense. Uh, but it's sad that we have to ask this kind of a question. And it makes me feel like we really need Kemba to come back. It seems like the timeline for Romeo is a little bit further out. But Kemba, please, please come back. Because I'm tired of Brad Stevens getting like his Christmas present. His favorite Christmas present of all time for Coach Stevens is the ability to play with lineup combinations ad nauseum without any impact. Like, this is Brad's favorite thing to do is uh, now I get to figure out, well, all, I get to try all the different lineup combinations and spend six months trying to give my guys their actual roles for the playoffs. Yeah. I'm tired of that. Um, I mean, to your point, Adam, is there any doubt that Peyton Pritchard, who has been in our closing lineups for most of the, the past week, should in fact be in our closing lineups? <laughs> Like no, I, I want the ball in his hands. Yeah, I, I want. I trust him more. Does. I'm glad he's playing over Jeff Teague for the most part. Um, him, Smart, Jalen, Jason, and you know whichever big is playing well at that point is probably our best lineup. And that's 
kind of insane, but it's also true. Yeah, and and I'm I'm tired of the two big lineup. I get I mean the teams we've played have a, had played two bigs themselves for most of it. Um so it's been a little weird because of that, but the we don't get the spacing that we need and and Tice is totally totally out of sorts playing the four uh you're not getting the value that you need from him it's so odd but who so what's the alternative yeah I know I do know. we start so Teague? You, do we start Pritchard yeah. do we start Grant like well Teague sprained his ankle so we'll see if he I know play. but I, but I'm just saying I mean I think I my guess is that Brad Stevens doesn't disagree but this is this is where right. you know this is yet another instance where not only losing Kemba but losing Hayward kills us, right? We used to have like an embarrassment of riches. You take two of our four stu- offensive studs away, and all of a sudden there's just no margin for error, and you have to just like do put stuff out there that you kind of know doesn't fit together right, just to make a, a nine to ten man rotation work and this game again this most recent game against detroit we only played nine guys we only played robert williams jeff teague Peyton pritchard and shemi ojale off the bench grant williams didn't play uh waters and carson edwards and neesmith didn't play and that's our team that's it there's no one else and this appeared to be like a message sending game for Grant Williams, right? I mean, because of the way he played in the last couple games, defensively forgetting how to switch or when to switch, just, you know, if that's going to be your strength at this level, because you're no longer the post scorer you were in college and you can't shoot the three. And so, you know, we're relying on you to continue to learn how to guard the perimeter. But if being in the right place at the right time is your thing and you're not doing that, it's time to sit down and not play at all in a game. And, and, and for you to go back to your house and worry or your hotel room and worry, like, is this, is this a trend? Like, are they just really not going to play me if I can't figure this out? I better figure this out. One of the, the results of the blowout against Memphis was that a lot of these bench players that we kind of wanted to creep into the road to prove that they could be in the rotation, they got minutes uh Carson Edwards got minutes and played well in them and then Brad decided that maybe that Carson wasn't actually a G League talent and threw him in against the first game against the Pistons did not play well uh Neesmith got run and uh, we, we there were a number of conversations on the Celtics Slack and I know a lot on Twitter about why is Neesmith not playing he should be even though he's not ready we're so thin at the wing that we need him even you know, if Shemi Ojale can sit in the corner and jack up threes and miss them, can't Neesmith do the same thing but have a better shot at making them? He showed in that game just how out of sorts he is. Uh, he, he missed a, a bunch of shots, and there's some talent there, but it is so clear why he hasn't uh, cracked this wing rotation. He has no clue what he's doing on defense. He's constantly out of position. He uh, was not picking up the switch on defense. He's a minute behind every, everything, a play behind. Uh, he just, And that's how you... We know that's how people, how young players get playing time on a Brad Stevens team. Right. But in his defense, it's not like he's just spinning around like a top with his head turned around and like giving you the huh looks like he's, he's knows where he's supposed to be. He's just a half step late. And then he's going in and boxing somebody out hard. He's, you know, like he's not afraid to mix it up. He's not afraid to get physical. He's, he's athletic enough. Like, he passes the eye test. He's just not doing the intangibles well. So, yeah, of course, he's not going to get playing time. But I don't think we're ready to give up on him yet. 
I think he's still going to be a good uh, a good player, and I think he's still a good pickup. It's just we need somebody right now. Like we need somebody who's ready to play now. And it, it seems like we're one piece away. Would you guys agree? Um, no, no, no I like think we're three two, pieces I think away. We're two pieces away. I, we. So I think if if I were going to, I mean, based on the early season, and you know, we talked before the season about this being like an evaluative stretch right um and i heard before the game on the nba uh tv kind of pre-game they they said gary washburn had reported that kemba's not coming back until at least february um nice. though i haven't seen that anywhere else uh yet um but there's there was supposed to be an announcement there's supposed to be an announcement this week, week. so yeah, so that's I was, what i was gonna predict that it's gonna be an extension of his timetable that they're gonna say he is he is um He's coming along nicely. He's doing his work. He is sort of on schedule to some degree and that they want to be really careful. They want him to be 100%. And so they're going to take it a little bit slower. Uh, and I'm just like, this is not this is not a good sign. This just, That is what they're going to say, I'm predicting. And it's going to be uh, in support of my my take on this from the offseason that this is not a, uh, a happy injury recovery process. Yeah, well, right. Setting that aside for now, um, we do have this stretch of the season where we're going to continue to kind of figure out what this team really is and what it needs. We do have ways to get better. I do. I think we obviously and unequivocally need to find get a player that can get to the free throw line and just that creates creates contact and and gets the line i i i have to look to see who that player could possibly be that's out there and available um i don't have a name off the top of my head i mean someone like lou williams historically has been very very good at that and he might be available from the clippers um i'm not sure we really want him uh but but he you know he he's kind of interesting to think about um uh we obviously also need wing depth um, or, you know, uh, or someone like George Hill, I know has been a popular name. Um, I, I could certainly get behind us acquiring someone like that. Um, but no, Josh, I think we're more than a piece away. You're not ready to get on the DeMar DeRozan train with me. I would be okay with DeMar DeRozan. Uh, sir, you know, I still think Hayward is better than DeRozan, but I think DeRozan is better than what we got <laughs> for sure. So, here's my hot take of the podcast. Okay, this is the year to go into the playoffs not as a top seed. This is the year that I want to enter the playoffs as either a middle of the road or a bottom seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, This is the silver lining to what we're seeing right now. The fact that Jason Tatum cannot handle putting the whole team on his back and taking us to number one like the Sixers are right now in the Eastern Conference, I think that's actually okay. I'm I'm okay with us keeping the core that we have, the championship contention core that you know has proven that it, they've gone to what three Eastern Conference Finals now. Um, that's my silver lining for this: is that this year's draft is so good that if you have the 12th or the 15th pick, you know it's not going to be an Aaron Neesmith versus Sadiq Bay type of conversation. Like you're actually getting somebody who you would want to get with the TPE that you got from the the Hayward trade. You know, so we have those two kind of assets. I feel like if we continue to trend in the direction that we're going, we're still going to be a playoff team. I don't think it's the right thing to do to panic in any way right now. I wish we were 20 games in so we could have more perspective on the emotions that we're feeling right now. Unfortunately, what's the fun of that? 
unfortunately, we're four and three. We're only seven games into the season, guys. So let's relax a little bit and know that if we if we can really turn this thing around, boom, we're back to where we thought we were as as a potential championship contender or just outside that conversation of you know the top three teams. And if we're not, and we're actually the team that we're looking at, that's four and three, we're still going to make the playoffs in this Eastern Conference. And we're going to get a better draft pick for it, which is really going to be giving us what we need in support of these stars that we have. Because I think we're one piece away. That's what I think. We're one piece away. That piece was Gordon Hayward if he was going to ever be the player that could consistently, that we could rely on. Uh, and he could, couldn't do that. And I'm happy he's gone, but we need that piece you know, if not in exchange for him, then just in general, we need that one more, that one more guy. I always have to remind myself of Jeff Clark's 20 game rule. And in talking to you guys right now, I think it's actually even more important to this season. I was initially thinking there's less games, so maybe we can shorten that, but I think it's actually more important just because of how crazy this year is. Uh, Things are going to settle down uh, halfway through the season. hopefully, unless there's some other shift in the schedule, COVID, whatever. Uh, so, I, I, But I think teams will kind of figure out who they are and what they have and what they don't. We talked about this coming into the season as an evaluative year. I think it's too early to make a trade, Mike. I think we're stuck with this this team for a little bit, and we need we need players to step up. We need to figure out um, how to play together, what these what our roles are on this team, and, and get production internally. Um, and and now again, it's evaluative. So we're going to know in the next thirty games you know, who is going to be on this team and who isn't. Uh, as if Carson Edwards needs any more time to prove that he should not be on. Yeah, it was very NBA important. Roster. Very important. He had that like one decent stretch of NBA play at the end of Memphis, so that he could play five minutes against Detroit right. in the first game uh, to drive every Celtics fan absolutely insane. You know, it's clearly. Um, Stevens had to round out his his uh, 2020, just getting one one last dagger in <laughs> to all the Celtics fans. Or was that in 2021? Oh, that was 2021. Yeah, he's starting the new year, driving Celtics fans crazy. But Josh, to Josh's point about the draft, uh, and to to my irrational <laughs> irrationality at this point, uh, this this is like this team is like a bank shot, and maybe tonight's Detroit Tatum uh, game winning shot away. Uh, along with potentially an injury to Tatum or Brown uh, that isn't totally minor, for me asking the question, should we be trying to increase our draft slot instead of trying to make the playoffs and, and win here? Is this a rebuilding year and not just a an evaluative transition year? That's that's how bad things have looked so far. But I, I think that that's also how, how weird... The NBA is also contributes to that as well. And that's a conversation that I think is valid for way more teams than you would have thought going into this year. And I wonder if it's a year that you can actually do both, that you can raise your draft stock a little bit and be a competitive team. Because that's, that's I mean, that's the... That's There's the a lot of mediocre to, and good teams. There's very few bad teams right now. So if you can decide that you're going to be bad, that's an advantage for the draft. Uh, and just for all the listeners out here, let's let's bring on the Toronto Raptors so that we can get a little bit of perspective on this. You know, but in the name of Celtics pride, we got to keep it real. Okay, we are recording this on Monday evening after a win against the Toronto Raptors. 
Guys, uh, we're, we're adding this in at the end of what felt like a, a miserable emotional experience for all of us. And I want to just check in with you guys. Uh, how are you feeling about specifically about Jason Tatum and why resulting from this game? How are you feeling generally and then specifically about Tatum? I mean, I don't feel particularly like he had a great game. I mean, he scored 40 points. He played like 30 minutes just about. So it was more or less exactly what Jalen Brown did the other game. Uh, he was hitting his threes. He got to the free throw line a lot. I don't actually, I, Josh and I were talking before we started recording. I don't actually know how he got to the line as much. I like genuinely just don't remember it happening. I remember him getting a uh, fouled on a three point attempt. So that was three. I remember him getting like an and one in the first half. I do recall a couple of strong takes in the second half driving into the into the you know very sturdy chest of Alex Len. Um, I don't recall him doing that quite as much when Baines was in there. But uh, so so you know it, it was nice for to see Jason Tatum get to the line. But I I just I don't it didn't feel like he was playing with like a crazy different amount of force. Look, there's no question he's immensely skilled and if he's gonna go three for three or whatever you you know from three to start the game and and shoot really efficiently and get get the benefit of some calls and get to the line like yeah he's an astronomically uh positive and impactful player and he was like plus uh 24 on the game so and that's i think the fifth or sixth straight game where he's kind of getting back to his really high level plus minus uh, for the team and, and having those kind of advanced box score stats uh, be show really favorably for his impact on winning. Um, so there's obviously lots and lots and lots and lots to like about Jason Tatum. Uh, I still don't think he plays with enough force. Yeah. I mean, all you had to say is he dropped 40. He got to the free throw line 10 times in the first half and Brad Stevens was able to take him out with 10 minutes left in the game and, and thinking he had done his job, you know, and then That's how all you I had to say. Overall, I had to say more clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and then overall, how do I feel, Adam? Like they, they had to put the stars back in the game to make sure that we saved it. It was a little bit embarrassing, and kind of was exemplary of of the up and down nature of this team right now, and the up and down nature of my feelings towards this team right now. Um, you know, I keep thinking because three years ago I was like Jalen Brown. I think it's going to be more like a Scottie Pippen. That's I really felt that way, and I feel like he's living up to that name right now. And so I was thinking yesterday, if he's Scottie Pippen, then then what's Tatum? Is Tatum Jordan? No, he's more like Soft Jordan. But I I didn't like that nickname much for Tatum. That's, that's not a I'm favorable nickname. <laughs> and now I'm wondering, is Jason Tatum? Uh, sorry, is Jalen Brown Michael Jordan in this scenario? And Tatum is more like Pippen? Well, there's an easy resolution to this. Neither of them is Jordan. <laughs> um, and neither of them is Scottie Pippen. So, uh, But they are both very, very good players. So let's just leave it at that and let them be Jalen and Jason uh, and appreciate them for what they are and recognize also what they aren't. I mean, while we're talking about Jalen, just very briefly, you know... Um, as amazing and he has been amazing on offense uh, going into this game uh, in his three prior games so the two against Detroit and the game against Memphis his true shooting percentage was 82.2% across three games 
absolutely outrageous. He he did not shoot quite as well uh, this game, but he still had a pretty solid solid offensive game. Um, he's he you know he's a good one on one, a pretty good one on one defender. Sometimes extreme, you know, sometimes excellent. Um, he's still a pretty mediocre at best uh, team defender. Uh, sometimes just really really weak. So you know Jalen still has some holes in his game. So when we're talking about someone like Scottie Pippen who's uh one of the best defensive players of all time let's let's not get um let's not lose ourselves <laughs> i find it best to ignore josh when he says things like that Just, I, 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 I have to i have to correct the record on that <laughs> so let me let me answer my, my question the most consistent if brown's the most consistent on our team when it's all said and done he's not going to be far off from scotty pippen i'm telling you again we just can move on pretend it's not being yeah, said moving, moving right along i'll, don't I'll acknowledge just... it uh, so yeah, let me answer my my question because because I, I I come away from this game, Tatum got to the line thirteen times. I'm thinking about the last game. He's got twelve assists, no turnovers, and and my gripe is he needs to be playing with more force. He needs to want it. He needs to be driving the ball. He needs to be creating for others. And in these last two games, he is has shown the ability to do both of those things, not at the same time. And I come away feeling much better about this team because at least they had. Uh, maybe half of the players were were really fighting hard, and they and they really they, they just were tougher in this game. Um, so that was really nice to see. But I come away feeling still like yelling at the screen when Tatum is is taking like they, they kept showing that replay of of the the one with his foot on the line where he, he hit the shot and and the and the bench went crazy the the sidestep three and I'm like that that is a terrible shot. These are not the shots that he should be taking. Mike, I'm thinking about your stats that you brought up last time about he needs to use a pick. He, like when he goes one on one, his his points per possession are really low. And and I'm watching that play out here. And it's just like he doesn't understand that even though he can hit these these ridiculous shots doesn't mean he should, should take them all of the time because he's not going to hit at a high percentage that way. Get, get to the line, get drive the ball, make plays for other people, use screens, play within the flow of the offense. This is, he, I still am, am frustrated with Jason Tatum because I still see habits that are, are not the kind of thing that are going to support his growth well, nor team uh, winning. One thing that I, I think we saw in this game against the Raptors that um, and, and Scal actually alluded to it, you know, right before kind of uh, they they wrapped up their the, the kind of game broadcast. Um, but the game made just abundantly evident what everyone has already known which is that kind of this too big lineup and these these rotations predicated on it don't make sense and i think i don't think it's a mistake that jason tatum got to the line 13 games in a game where we mostly let him operate with much more space and so he was instead of trying to drive into crowded lanes or just avoiding driving because the lane was so crowded with both Thompson and Tice's man able to sag down and, and clog up the lane. All of a sudden there's more space. He's able to get in there um, and, and get kind of guys in, in less favorable defensive positions and draw contact and get to the line. So, you know, I, I do wonder if some of our evaluation about Tatum early in the season and some of the frustrating way he's been playing some of the slow st- starts or, or a seeming unwillingness to play with force has been a bit in response to the fact that we've been playing kind of illogical rotations and, and, and lineups around him uh, for big parts of like the first and third quarters. 
of games. Uh, you know, it's a little bit making excuses. It it it, it doesn't it it's not it doesn't fully kind of account for it, but I do think we saw in this game kind of unequivocally, and it's going to be interesting to see which way Brad Stevens goes looking forward. It, there's just no doubt. Like I, I go back to what I was saying preseason. I really wish our starting lineup with either Thompson or Tice and Grant Williams, the Jays and Marcus Smart when healthy or Peyton Pritchard, who's, you know, deserves to be in the hall of fame as far as I'm concerned at this point. <laughs> What is your favorite nickname for Peyton Pritchard? Eight Mile. Eight Swaggy mile, P. Swaggy P. That's my yeah. new nickname for him. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't found one that I like yet. I, Swaggy P might be the best, but uh, did you give that to him, Josh? Yeah, I just That was just Nick Young's nickname. You can't know. call yeah. him the same thing as Nick Young. That's an yeah, insult, Nick, That's Nick an insult to, to Eight Mile. So the, Nick Young the, did not live up to the nickname. Not and, at all. But what's wrong with Fast PP? Fast PP okay. is really funny. <laughs> Here's what's wrong with Fast PP. So apparently, so people may know that that uh, Peyton Pritchard's Twitter handle was Fast PP uh, on draft night, and he got so much flack for that on draft night that he changed it. My understanding is the reason it was Fast PP is because his family ran an AAU basketball training operation called Fast, and obviously Peyton Pritchard PP. So that's why he was Fast PP. <laughs> Well, I mean, he had and, people signing up for his dribbling. You know, he was basically Gannon Baker out there in, in Oregon, you know, with his with his dribbling uh, techniques that he was giving out to people on YouTube and, and had like, you know, thousands, yep. maybe 10,000 followers who were like actually doing his drills and, and he was communicating back and forth with them, you know, instead of just selling it. So, so Celtic Celtics Twitter doesn't really want to let go of the Fast PP nickname for him, but because he changed it. And it wasn't given to him because of uh, a, like a Time Lord missing things because you don't have a watch situation. I feel like I, I don't want to give him that nickname. And the eight mile thing was given to him by Jason Tatum, apparently. Yeah. And man, just because he's white and it looks a little bit like Marshall Mathers, you got yeah, to give him good. that. We need something else. So how about this one? Um, can we talk about how we, he, two times in this game he drove down the lane cradled it with his left hand, you know, going left, brought it back to two hands to go up into the contact to finish. You know, it was like one of these 1970s moves, like that where it's fundamentally flashy kind of. It's basically like the Billy Hoyt move from uh, White Man Can't Jump. Billy Hoyle. Billy Hoyle. Hoyle? Yeah. We should just call him Billy Hoyle. Yeah, uh, Keith Smith uh, tweeted that comparison as well during the game. I thought, yeah, great great comparison. But, yeah. (laughs) I didn't even see that. But hey, I got a question for you about Pritchard. So we've we've been talking comps for him for a while. You know, TJ McConnell, Matthew Della Vadova, Chris Heron. I've thought I feel like he's a little bit more Chris Heron because of his flashiness than those other guys. But it was interesting to see him go up against the other comp that he's had. You know, which is Van Vliet. We got to see him mano a mano today. What do you guys think? Is he more Van Vliet? Or is he more TJ McConnell? Well, it was Tremont Waters that was really guarding Van Vliet and. Uh left him alone on that first three <laughs> really, really made me cringe. Uh, in terms of, uh, I don't think he's a, a Van Vliet comp at all. Van Vliet's a much bigger, uh, much tougher. He's, he's maybe a better shooter at this point. Um, I, I like the Chris Heron comparison a lot. I, I mean, I don't know the, 
Van Vliet, I think uh, he's more Van Vliet than TJ McConnell uh, at this mm-hmm. point on the, on that spectrum uh, for sure. I, I I'm gonna say this; it's gonna sound outlandish. I, I don't mean it to be. Um, what what one of the things that really really kind of struck me watching him against Toronto this this game, uh, and I think is really kind of one of the key skills that he has. I mean, Adam, you, you, we were tweeting during the game, you were saying how hard he plays, but he is always moving and he does such an excellent job. A, when he has the ball probing into the defense, keeping the dribble alive, he'll get back out. He keeps his head up. He's scanning the floor. He's able to handle the ball with both hands, but when he gives up the ball, he'll move you know, he'll move to where he's supposed to be on the floor. He'll reposition, make himself a target to get the ball back. And he does it quickly. He does everything quickly. And the way he repositions and the pace with which he repositions reminded me, reminds me a little bit of Steph. I mean, it, it doesn't have nearly the same effect, right, on the court. Like, I'm not compa- comparing the two as basketball right. players or anything. But, like, it's just one of the things uh, you know why Steph is Steph is a combination of skills right he's a super elite ball handler he's a very high level passer he's one, the best shooter of all time and he's always moving he never stops he's always repositioning um and i think pritchard has a little bit of that kind of ability to keep moving and repositioning and and just plays with so much effort and speed and pace and it's something we need especially when you have guys like uh, Tatum and Brown that kind of sometimes ramp themselves up into the game, especially Tatum. He, he often feels like he's like in second to third gear, most of a first half, and then kind of gets into fourth and fifth gear in the second half. Um, so I, I don't know. I've just, I'd Pritchard moves like be, that on defense too. Yeah. So I continue to just like be blown away by how he's just a capital G O O D good basketball player. <laughs> And it's yep. remarkable for a 26th pick that we were all like, who the heck is this guy? Eight of 13 from the floor, eight assists today, 23 points in 32 minutes. I called it that he was going to, in the next week or so, this is like a week and a half ago, I called that he was going to score 20 plus points. You and guys we did were not think like, that was a big deal. Yeah. Was, oh, <laughs> you were um, like, uh, no duh. <laughs> you were right, Adam. Um, Grant Williams actually played today. And was a plus 28 on the day and hustled his butt off. What what was the difference? Josh, do you, do you think getting benched, the DNPCD, lit a fire under him? Yes, I think you could see that. But to me, the only difference is the difference that matters. And I'm going to say this every single podcast until it comes true. He is basically worthless to this team, I think, unless he's hitting threes. If he's hitting his shot, it makes everything else that he can't do worth it because of the intangibles, because of, you know, just the way he's, his mind works, his high basketball IQ works in terms of defensive positioning. He's, you know, those things don't actually, in my opinion, supersede other players or allow him to be in the starting lineup. Like Mike says, like that makes him reliable to a coach, but that isn't a difference maker. If he's shooting threes and he's knocking down his shots, even if it's like one or two threes and you know some baseline jumpers and some stuff while he's open, if his shot's falling, it's it's a whole different ball game for him, and he's now like a big part of our core. If not, he's he's on the outside on the fence of whether he really should get a lot of minutes or not. 
Well, there, there's three levels. One is the one that you were talking about if he's hitting his threes, where he's like a key key cog in the rotation and a potential starter. If he's not hitting his threes, but he's still defending well, which he has not done up until this game, then, uh, I'm sorry, if he is defending well enough, but he's still not hitting his threes, he's still playable. He's still a rotation piece, but he's not going to make a huge difference for winning. But the way he has been Correct. playing up until this point, he hasn't been defending or hitting his threes, and then he's just not playable at all. But, and we got too many guys who are just like, yeah, we, that, he's doing enough to allow him to play, but they're not impacting winning. We have too many of those guys. But tonight, Shemi Ojale, three for five. Grant Williams, three for four from three. That's what I'm talking about. Well, she, so in in a segment that I thought I would never lead, uh, Shemi Ojale is good now? <laughs> when he's hitting 40% from three, yeah, he's playable. Um. What is what are the thoughts that go through your mind when you see Shemi start to Eurostep? Oh God, I really when say I that. See... Adam, Adam yells at the screen when when Jason Tatum's doing something wrong, and I said, "Just say, oh no!" Like in, <laughs> in different languages, as Ojale's rumbling down the lane. It's so slow. He takes like the widest angle steps possible, and then he just he like tosses it up, and it's like two feet short of making contact with anything. It's the most predictable outcome. It takes seven seconds to develop. Um, that was his first time trying to move. No, he's done, no, he's done it like four times this season, and it's always the same. It's, Every time, it's his first time ever trying yeah, to move. It does look like it. Um, it's... But in all seriousness, he's been hitting he's been hitting open threes, uh, which is all we've wanted from him for the past three seasons. Um, he he's continues to be solid on defense, and he came out and and play you know swapped with Daniel Tice with the starters in the second half uh, against Toronto. Um, and I do wonder if that could be that could be the lineup we we go with to start our next game. Well, those two guys, Williams and Ojale, are going to be left so wide open. It's not even funny. And that's why I'm being so serious about it. It's not funny. They got to hit their shots. Uh, but, and Scalabrini was saying during the, the broadcast, I think I know what their identity is, he says. I think that it's just going to be Tatum and Brown facilitating, and everybody else has to be ready, hands ready. And, like, okay, that's pretty obvious. And at the same time, I think that he was wrong when he said that Ojale is a good, you know, that the four is a good position for him. Because I feel like Ojale, even if he's hitting threes, you know, on offense, he's that stretch four. And he has the bulk to play that. But I don't think that he actually defends the four or the post well at all. I feel like he doesn't, he doesn't do what Grant Williams does so well, which is use verticality while he's jumping you know, putting your hands straight up while jumping. Like, he'll wall up, but he won't jump. Or he'll jump and, and you know, be moving laterally, so he'll get called for the foul. Like, he's just not good in the post. Uh, yeah, he's better out on the perimeter. He's yeah. better out on the... Jalen Brown is better in the post. Uh, Jason Tatum, ironically, is better on, like, ones and twos. Um, they're all... But, you know, they all work together, so it's fine. <laughs> but they're all a little unorthodox in who they line up uh, best against. Um... Uh, switching switching gears. One uh one one other un- unfortunate uh, segment. I I never I never thought I was gonna lead was not a good night for Tremont Waters. Um, I'm I'm right at the front of the uh the the Tremont Waters bandwagon fan club. He was minus seventeen this evening. Uh, got the start with Marcus Smart 
injured and Jeff Teague injured and uh, Stevens wanting to keep Pritchard in his kind of bench spark plug role. Um, you know, his game still at times looks very pretty, but he tried to force a lot of bad passes. He took some ill-advised shots. Uh, he's way too small to play defense at the NBA level. Um, very sad for me. Yeah, but can I, I just say, I, I really love how many point guards this team has. You know, just got, he's a high IQ guy. Like he made a lot of mistakes tonight, but he's a high IQ point guard. And I, I just think anytime you have a team, you need lots of point guards. And this is like one of my favorite things about this team is our depth at that position, especially with Pritchard stepping up the way he has. Anytime you have a team, you need lots of point guards. <laughs> that might There's be some, the quote of the night. Yeah, put that, put that in the blog <laughs> presser. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of teams out there. Like, like Tim Frazier was just signed by Memphis. Tim Frazier out of Penn State, point guard. You know, have you ever heard of him? Either yeah. of you? Okay. He was on yeah. the he was on the Red Claws at one point. Uh, oh, that's true. Two or yeah. three years ago. Yeah. Journeyman, right? Journeyman point guard. Probably not an NBA level point guard. Um, but you know, they lost John Morant. Now they need some extra help, and that's who they they end up with is someone like that. You know, and and I would take Tremont Waters over Tim Frazier any day. But you know, and he's our fifth string. Is that right? Yeah. Got to have a lot of point guards to have a team. Mike, I, I watched Tremont really closely because I, I loved the fact that he was starting. I liked I liked the decision by um, by Brad to keep Pritchard on the bench. And of course, when Smart and Teague are out, you need Tremont to play. And in the beginning of the game, it looked like he was just not confident. He, he it was like he didn't feel like he belonged. And I wanted I wanted Brad to pull him over and say, hey, you belong here. Go play your game. Stop worrying about it and just be aggressive. And it seemed like he settled down. I was actually surprised looking at the stat line, one of eight, uh, the negative 17. Uh, I'm surprised it was as bad as it is because he, once he did settle down, he seemed to me to kind of be in the flow of the game and, and, and not take a ton off of the table. Uh, the guy can hit more shots than he is. And I think he will at other times. I mean, the, the difference seeing him play in the G league to his play in the NBA feels like confidence to me. Um, and I have to imagine that that once he actually gets some reps under his belt and sees success, that he will play better. And I think we're going to need him this year. I, we're going to need every single person on this roster this year uh, because of injuries and COVID. I, every single team can say that. Except for Carson Edwards. Um, well, since you mentioned him, that was my second favorite thing other than, than Peyton Pritchard today. My second favorite thing was that we were depleted as, as much as we were at the point guard and Carson Edwards did not see the floor. Thank you, Brad. Um, the, the one guy who did see the floor but made just about as little impact as Carson Edwards uh, was the rookie everyone's been clamoring for, Aaron Neesmith. Uh, got some meaningful run in the first half. I think he played eight minutes in the second quarter. Um, and then did not reemerge until the Celtics were up by about 20 with uh, three minutes to go and was part of a crew that forced the starters to come back in with about two minutes to go. Um, yeah, Neesmith is not ready to play in the NBA. Uh, we, t- we touched on this in the first part of this episode, but it's, it's pretty frustrating, uh, especially watching like Sadiq Bey, who is an NBA player and looks like an NBA player. Uh, and we just played against him two games against Detroit. Um, and then he watching looked, watching Neesmith play, and Neesmith gives me uh, it's not it's not as bad, near not nearly as bad, but he just he looks like a kid out there. 
Yeah, like he, a puppy. He, he, but he's 21. Like I was okay with the idea of him being a puppy um, when I thought, oh, okay, like Peyton Pritchard's getting run. He's four-year college, uh, you know, played four years in college. He's 22. Neesmith, you know, played a year and a half. He's probably 19 or 20. No, he's already 21. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about, I'm, I'm, it's way too Uh-oh. early to have Uh-oh. an official stance on this. I'm officially worried about Neesmith. Uh-oh. Way too early. Way too early. I acknowledge it's way too early. He doesn't look, he doesn't, he just, he doesn't, he's not passing the smell test for me yet. He had no summer league, no training camp. Neither did Peyton Pritchard, who's yeah. one year older than him. Which is why it's so impressive what he's doing. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> Let me just so, distract you. Let me dangle a little Peyton <laughs> Pritchard out here and distract you. Look, it's going to work. He's got the fundamentals in terms of, you know, how to space the floor, how to move, how to get open. Like he's, he's got all of the fundamentals. He's going to be fine. Like he, he had one play today where he had the pump fake at the three point line and drove past his man into the middle of the lane that from the good. wing. That was good. And, and had to skip pass. Yeah, right that, was to very, that was a nice play. So, you know, he's, he knows what he's doing. You can see he like every time he misses a shot, he just wants it so bad. He's just like he he was getting frustrated at one of the foul calls. Like he's he's just a puppy right now. Yeah, he's, he's a late, late bloomer. He's twenty one, but he's a late bloomer. And and I keep trying to say that because you got to look at it like he's nineteen. You know, he looks like he's nineteen, and I think that his intelligence means that you're not just because he's twenty one doesn't mean that he's like all of a sudden you should give up on him you know, because he's smart enough to be able to figure this out. He just hasn't been at that level yet. And now he's finally here. He's going to be fine, but we just can't count on him right now. Right. No, but, clearly. I mean, here, but if we're going to play like poo poo against the Detroit Pistons and then come out and, and beat this Toronto Raptors team up, I mean, it, it shows two things. Like number one, hopefully we can see more of Neesmith against any team, because even against a supposedly good team like the Raptors, you know, he's Brad's throwing out this guy that we all want to see, and, and we can lose these games without seeing him. Might as well play him. And from another perspective, it's kind of just interesting to see how the league is structured right now with the Raptors. You know, they're falling apart a little bit. All this stuff about Siakam, and and you can just kind of tell a little bit that Nick Nurse is his style is just so fired up and in your face that I wonder if players will get tired of that a little bit quicker than they would uh, more of a mild mannered or laid back attitude like brad stevens has and that's kind of one thing that i think separates stevens just you know like biologically um and and then a team like detroit who just wants it so bad and and despite their gm's poor decisions um you know they're they're fighting and clawing while this other good team is you know laying over a little bit um it's the nba today you know it's it's interesting but hey we got good games coming up here uh we've got the heat Wizards, then the Heat again to round out the week. And I was watching a Heat game recently, and Bam Adebayo is now like aggressively getting into the lane and shooting turnaround jumpers, like, like what Jalen Brown is doing. His mid-range game has expanded a little bit this year, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching these games against the Heat, our, our biggest rival now that the Raptors seem to be falling off. I'm excited to see the this team against the Heat. Uh, th- that rematch is, is going to be interesting, uh, especially with the different roster that we have currently playing. Um, and and 
Guys, about Neesmith, I just got to say, like, I want him to continue to get minutes. I want him to get more playing time. I want Brad to give him those, like, uh, right around the end of the quarter, like, end of the first quarter and third quarter minutes. So he gets, like, six a game and builds some film and gets a little more comfortable because we need him. We need him, unfortunately. (laughs) 